Welcome to the Joy Venture Podcast, a show where dreamers and doers share stories of discovering, developing, and spreading their joy with the world. I'm your host, Thad Devassi, along with Jeremy Slagle. In this episode, we talk with Jeff Frain, brand manager of the Minneapolis-based bicycle brand, All City. Like most kids growing up in middle America, Jeff loved to ride his bike, and it's a love affair that has never waned. Jeff is a bike guy and gearhead through and through, and you could say that his lifelong passion borders on the obsessive, although that would be selling his story short. Jeff isn't an entrepreneur the way they're often idolized. Rather, he's this once plucky kid from the warehouse with an idea and an email who was given a green light to go build something. And that something happened to be his dream job. This is the Joy Venture Podcast with Jeff Frame. Tell us a little bit about how you got into bicycling, how you ended up uh, with All City being a thing. Yeah, so, um, you know, throughout my childhood, uh, bikes were prevalent. Uh, I started racing mountain bikes in junior high and was racing the Wisconsin Off-Road Series circuit like all through high school. And like I had a shop sponsorship and it was sponsored by Schwinn for a little while. Like not, nothing big, but you know, they were giving me jerseys and giving me discounts and bikes, that sort of thing, you know. I was a decent local racer. Um, but bikes were always super prevalent and when I turned 16, I was absolutely terrified of someone from behind the wheel of a car. So I never got my license, so I just kind of kept riding. Um, you know, I did that through through college. And, you know, I actually remember very specifically my buddies uh, in junior high, his dad had a welding fabrication shop. And we were into bikes and like dreaming about what it would be like to have our own bicycle company and what we call it and what we do and you know all through my youth I probably had a subscription to like 10 or 12 bicycle magazines uh, my mother was very kind and it encouraged my reading in all forms so if I wanted a magazine she would just give me a subscription because she knew I would read them multiple times cover to cover um, and so I've always been kind of a bike dork and because I was scared of uh, scared of cars I just kept riding when a lot of people drop off and um, I moved to Minneapolis after living out. So I graduated from college, and I lived out of my minivan for probably 18 months, being a climbing and snowboard bum uh, with my two of my bikes strapped to the back of it. And uh, I got tired of being poor and sleeping on people's couches and not having a home. And uh, if you're from the Midwest, you don't have a ton of options really in places to live unless you're going to live, move out of the Midwest. You know, it's... Madison, Chicago, Milwaukee, or Minneapolis, at least for us northern folk. Um, so I ended up in Minneapolis, and um, I graduated with a degree from university in uh, comparative studies in religion and uh, public relations. 
which basically meant I was unhirable. So um, I couldn't get I couldn't get a job. So, so, so I ended up turning wrenches in a bike shop. All right. So before you go any further, you, at some point in time, you picked a college and you checked a box for what degree you were going to get, and you chose public relations and comparative religion. What what was behind that decision? Um. Yeah, you know, I, I went into school thinking I was going to get. You know, I went into my freshman year not knowing what I was going to do, and then I decided I wanted to do management and information systems at the school of business because it seemed like a way to make a lot of money. And um, I definitely was not cut out for the for the school of business, and I was a terrible student anyway. Um, like, uh, I didn't do drugs or drink or anything in, in high school. Then I got to college and I was like, holy shit, like, uh, beer's awesome, going to parties is awesome, uh, weed's awesome, like, that kind of went nuts because I didn't have that, like, buffer of growing up with it hmm. to, um, to, like, know what I was doing. And so, um, I kind of pissed away four years of school, I ended up being there for six years, six terrific years, um, kind of like trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do. And I was just there because I'm from a small town in northern Wisconsin. Like, you either go to school or you stay there. You know, like, uh, college education is the way out of that. And, you know, I go back now and it's like I grew up in paradise, you know, in the middle of the woods and these lakes. And it's amazing. But, you know, you're a teenager. You hate where you grow up. Or, mm. you know, kids in Minneapolis are bored and hate where they live. You know, that's just a, it's just a teenage thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, something like, I kind of bounced around some of the schools. Okay. And, um, I've always been interested in, you know, religion is fascinating to me. Um, and my degree isn't, isn't like a theological degree or like a philosophical degree. It's more in the histories of the religion. Um, and it was always fascinating to me, you know, to hear about the real world societal pressures that cause the world's various major religions to develop kind of the mores and rules that they did. Um, because, you know, it's correlating to, to, to real world problems. It's like, Oh, well, this, this army was, you know, occupying their land. And so, you know, this, they shared this belief with them, or this came about because of this oppression or environmental things. So it was always just interesting to me. And then I realized that, holy crap, I was going to graduate with a bunch of debt and six years of college education with a degree in religion. You should probably do have something. And, um, uh, I had a bunch of credits in the, in the school of, uh, political science and journalism, which is where PR, uh, was based. It wasn't based at a business school. So I ended up in PR with a PR degree instead of a marketing degree just because it was easier to add on. And um, I like it. Like, I've always been interested in marketing, it. so PR was a good choice for me. So graduated from college. I live out of my car for a couple of years uh, doing that whole thing, and I get sick of being poor, so I moved to Minneapolis to take a job wrenching at a bike shop for 7 bucks an hour, which is an awesome way out of poverty. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, but I always, you know, I always wanted to do more. Um, and, like, what I realized when I graduated was I didn't have an internship. I didn't have a degree in marketing, but that was the field I wanted to work in. I had a degree in public relations, but 
what I had on my resume wasn't going to get me a job. And so the only way I've ever known how to do something is to just do it. Mm-hmm. So I started Bike Jerks, and this is how we started getting into the whole city thing. So I wanted to create an opportunity for myself to design and make things. And then I also, you know, coming from someplace without like a huge cycling community, you get to Minneapolis and it's like, holy crap, there's this whole group of people whose lives are based around cycling. There's like a party circuit that everyone goes to. There's a social circuit. Um, you know, the bike thing just bit me hard. And that was right when like six years were becoming a thing. And I, you know, um, you know, I moved to Minneapolis, got a shop job and built my first 60 out of, you know, a shitty conversion road bike. And it was this whole new way of riding a bicycle. You had to relearn everything, you know, like little skills, like going up a curb was suddenly a monumental challenge now. And um, I kind of fell in love with that, and I wanted to contribute to the scene and give myself experience, so I started Bike Jerks. So I started doing that, and I make T-shirts and patches and stickers, and I screen print in my basement. Um, and then I also throw events. And so I wanted to get experience, A, with event planning, but then B, you know, helping to build a community and meeting people and, you know, contributing in some way. So... Started doing that, and like my race, the All City Championships, uh, was an Alley Cat race I started in 2006. And now we're going into our 13th year of that. So I'm real active in the community. I get a job. I get laid off from my bike shop job in the winter because I was one of the lower people on the totem pole. And then that winter, I got hired at QVP at the absolute. Uh, QVP is Quality Bicycle Products. Uh, we are the largest bicycle parts distributor in North America. Um, they're based out of Minneapolis. And um, I got a job in their warehouse. So I'm at the warehouse, um, seasonal, part-time, lowest rung on the totem pole, you know, kind of work, started working my way up through the warehouse. I eventually got into fixing suspension, which was an amazing and tremendously rewarding uh, way to spend your time um, because it's just fun to take this thing that not a lot of people know how to work on that you know how to work on you have the specialized tools and the knowledge and to fix it hmm. you know it's very kind of gratifying in the moment but um, meanwhile I was getting a reputation at quality as kind of the fixed gear guy and because I was in the track bikes you know I always wanted the leading cutting edge stuff whatever that was and you know it sounds silly now but like oh you know white tires were like this huge thing when they came out Yep. and uh, deep knees were this huge thing like when that became popular and um, so I started but I was buying my parts from other parts distributors because QVP didn't have any of the good shit I wanted um, and so I started suggesting products so Lisa Snyder who was the brand manager of a of a brand a house brand of QVC called Dimension? And it was like, oh, you know, we should bring in these hubs, uh, we should bring in these toe clips, these straps, like that sort of thing. And the product did well. Um, so then I got to make other suggestions. And you know, I'm an ambitious guy. Um, I knew I wanted to start a bike brand, and I knew there were things in bicycles that I wanted to do, ideas that weren't being executed by. Uh, existing companies that I thought should exist. Um, so I pitched QVP this idea of this bike brand. I called it All City after my race, the All City Championships. So 
So around this time, like everyone was starting a fixed gear company because it was this boom town. And I really wanted people to know that this came from the community. It came from the culture. It came from someone who cared that it wasn't this just cash in thing. Um, so I wanted to call it all city because my race had been established, you know, for three or four years at that, by that time. Um, so that's, uh, what we named it. It's actually funny. Um, this month, May, is actually the 10th anniversary of the email I sent to the powers that be at QDP to uh, start this bike brand. So we've been doing it basically 10 years now. Did that take a lot of convincing on your on your end? It didn't take a lot of convincing. Um, you know, I, my, my first angle was that, I don't know how deeply into bike geekery you want to get, but... You know, my first angle was that I wanted an affordable 144 BCD track crank because there just wasn't anything in the market. And nobody would buy a decent quality part, I didn't believe, or a higher-end part with a dimension name on it because that wasn't what they were known for. You know, it was more budget stuff. Um, so I pitched their name, and amazingly they said yes, but they weren't dumb enough hand over the keys to the kingdom and a bunch of money to some kids from the warehouse that they didn't know. So they installed Lisa as the brand manager of All City, um, and she did a tremendous job over our first five years of existence. And then I was the, I think my first title was marketing and sales coordinator. Um, but, you know, it was very much um, my vision and ethos uh, that were guiding the brand and she was the business manager and product manager and executed the project. Uh, she's very, very good at that. Um, and like, there was a bit of bait and switch. So I was like, you know, like $500 fixed gears were the hot shit. And I was like, yeah, let's make a $500 fixed gear bike. That sounds wonderful. Just so I can get a project kicked off. I knew damn well that there was no way I wanted to make a $500 fixed gear because that's not what I want to ride. That's not what my friends want to ride. We like nice stuff. Mm. And um, cycling has always been a huge influence on me. It was a huge uh, influence on fixture culture, you know, and there were these things that frame builders used to do in steel that were lost as steel became a budget material. And so I knew um, from my own taste and style that what I really wanted to do was bring those touches back into a production environment. So, you know, our $500 track bike that we sold them on ended up getting custom dropouts and a couple other touches. You know, there were no track bikes at that time that fit a large tire uh, that had true track geometry. And this is huge to us in Minnesota because we have winters. Yep. Like, you don't want to be sliding around on a 23C tire in winter. I want to ride a 32 cross tire. Yep. Um, so we built the big block, and, you know, I was like, well, you know, that $500 market is really saturated, a lot of competition. But not a lot of people are doing $1,000 track bikes. Let's do a $1,000 track bike and kind of baited and switched my way into making the higher-end, higher-quality thing that really appealed to me and I thought would appeal to other people like me who were really into it and passionate about riding track bikes. So that's kind of the, the early days of All City. Um, you know, we started growing, and we did the fixed-gear freestyle thing for a while. That was super fun. Uh, those bikes are still amazing. Uh, because riding a track bike is cool, but riding a monster truck track bike is super cool, in my opinion. <laughs> um, 
you know, and like we've always been fortunate. So like along with us, like coming into the market, right, there was this whole group of riders uh, who were discovering bikes as adults for the first time because, you know, Fixier became uh, a phenomenon in popular culture. And then there were a whole bunch of shops, um, you know, young kids, bike messengers, whoever, opening their own bike shops. There was a boom in bike shops with this because the established shops didn't care about our cult, you know, our little subculture that we were building. And so the shops had to come from within. And then, so there was this whole generation of riders, shops, and companies like All City that kind of came into it. And we all got to grow up together. You know, I call it like the fixed gear diaspora. So these riders come in because they see, you know, a track bike in a car commercial. And they think that's cool. They get into it. And then they discover the whole world of cycling. And so they branch out into road and cyclocross and touring and mountain biking and all of the things. And so as a brand, we've been able to do that. And it's the riders, it's the shops that grew up with them uh, and, and a company like us. So that's been really cool. Um, because yeah, for a short time, Shakespeare was in the, I'm sorry, bicycling was in that mainstream culture in a way that it hadn't been for a number of, for a number of, uh, at least a decade or more, I suppose. Wow. Yeah. So, so Jeff, I want to back up just a minute. You know, when you were talking about, you know, coming out of college, six, you know, great years of your life. And, um, you know, I'm, hearing you talk about how your mom would buy you magazine subscriptions because she knew you'd read everything sort of cover to cover. There's a point in time, and you, and you were also saying this idea of you grew up riding bikes, you had a dream of doing this, you go to college, um, and then you see you get a $7 you know, warehouse job. You know, it kind of reminds me of the old, the old Seinfeld, um, you know, where Jerry's mom's telling him, like, you know, there's always the, you know, enough with this comedy already. There's a, a management training program at Bloomingdale's, right? Like, not believing in his, in his dream. Um, d- did you ever have that point of, of that, like, man, I just, you know, I spent this money on an education, but man, I'm still going after my dream. A lot of us, a lot of people don't do that. They, they they hit that practical button. It's like, I got to make, I got to make bank here. I got to start getting a paycheck and doing, uh, what I have to do to, to get ahead. And, and you did just the opposite, which was take a seasonal job in a warehouse. Talk about how, you know, I mean, did you have pressure to like, you know, Jeff, it's time to get a real job now. You know, did you have any of that pressure? Did you feel that pressure? I mean, not really. Like, honestly, um, I, I, I didn't, I was still young, you know, I was 25, 26. Um, and like my parents, like, I didn't get any pressure like that from my parents. Um, as long as they're working, they're cool with you. Like if you have a job and are contributing to society, they, they both grew up very poor on the farm, mm-hmm. uh, uh, farms on Wisconsin, like dirt poor, like poaching deer to feed the family. Like, you know, not like my dad didn't have indoor plumbing until high school wow. kind of stuff. Um, and so they have a very, very strong work ethic and they're cool as long as you're working. Like if you're not working, then, uh, it, it, I don't know. You don't have a lot of value, uh, if you don't have a job and aren't working, you know? Um, so as long as I was working, it was cool. And like, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of options, but I just knew that if I had to kind of, if I wanted to do anything, you know, basically what I was trying to do was convince people that I could be of use to them in a marketing capacity. 
and use that public relations side of my degree. But again, I had no experience, so I had to, I had to get experience. How was I going to get experience when no one hired me? I'd start my own company. I'd start designing and making my own shit. I'd start marketing my own stuff. I'd start throwing my own events. Um, I don't know. And it was a joy. And it still is a, a joy. It's not that I felt, I guess I never really felt like I had an option to go straight, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not like I had Wall Street banging out my door with, you know, a lucrative 6K offer. I'd be like, oh, Jeff Frank, you know, I know you've been living out of your van for 24 months, but we really see the potential in you, kid. <laughs> But, but but so you know. yeah, but this is this is the really interesting thing because then you turn right around and and um you know, at, at least as as the way Jeremy and I are interpreting your story, I mean here you are the kid from the warehouse that is contributing ideas to a you know this large you know bicycle park brand, and they're saying yeah yeah let's take the, let's take the idea from the kid in the warehouse, and so. You know, you do have value there, and and and, and you know, like you said, the, the Wall Street's not banging on your door, but you had ideas that those in influential places were willing to listen to you. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, just that tenacity, and I, I think this is where a lot of people, you know, when we talk about a joy venture, they feel like I'm gonna, you know, if I'm gonna do something, I got to do it myself. You did that early to get recognized. But you're kind of doing it differently than we hear a lot of other people doing. They're like, I'm, I'm done with this corporate job. I'm going to go do my own thing. You found a way to, maybe I can get someone else to help fund my own thing from within the company. Yeah, I mean, basically I was, so I've never had that thing where I'm embarrassed to tell someone my ideas. And it never occurred to me that this wasn't a really good idea that the company should pursue. So when they said yes, I wasn't shocked. And I was like, yeah, duh. Like, there's a whole market out here that we're not serving. Like, uh, why would we not? Why would we not serve this? So I, I guess I never had enough self-consciousness to be, to be scared of that. You know, it was a little daunting at the time, but I was lucky enough to have someone who said, who said yes. You know, that this is interesting. Um, there's enough buzz about this thing, which was track bikes, that we should be doing something here. If we have communities that has always been really wonderful like that, that they, you know, anyone who comes in these doors who's got true love and passion and drive, I think is, is going to do well here because there's opportunity to make your own, your own destiny. So I ended up in the right place. Um, wasn't really strategically. It was, you know, I got laid off from my bike shop job. I was working for this company called uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. They were doing like, basically, if you got a bunch of crap, you call these dudes and they come and uh, pick up your stuff for a fee. And it was like a gnarly, crappy job. Uh, part of it was cool because I love, I don't know, I love free stuff and I like uh, old stuff and we could keep whatever we wanted. And so I got a bunch of cool things uh, out of the deal, you know, uh, some antiques and books and like whatever that people were getting rid of. But then it was also like some crazy stories. Like we went into this house and there were generations upon generations of dead mice in jars with their birth date and their deceased date like in the cabinet. Like, <laughs> oh man. Like, like what's that? Or like, 
there was a porterhouse where the person had an addiction to buying stuff at Goodwill. And um, it was floor to ceiling. Uh, they had passed away and their kids had cleaned it up, had to clean it up, so they hired us. The floor to ceiling, like clothing stuff. And like you go into the basement, it's like that trash compactor scene on the Death Star in Star Wars. Like, uh, like I'm wading through like piles of stuff, and then I start seeing one of the piles move. Oh man! <laughs> so anyway, like you know, like the thing at QBP is kind of like if you're going to work in the bike industry in Minneapolis, um, we have a good bike industry, and it's stronger now than it was then 13 years ago. But you know, like QBP is kind of that destination. It's, one of the, it's the best option and, you know, wonderful place to work, wonderful reputation. So I just kind of, when they, when they, uh, you know, were hiring, staffing up for the season, it was the logical thing to do. Um, but I was just lucky enough to have someone who actually took the time, the president of, you know, it's kind of a gutsy thing. I didn't really think about it at the time, you know, to write the president of the company that you don't really know and pitch them your idea. But, I was too dumb to to be scared of that. I was just, yeah, why wouldn't he listen? It's a good idea. Yeah. So, and they and they did, and they said yes, um, which was just tremendous opportunity. And throughout my whole career here, you know, I've had people say yes. Um, yeah. That's awesome. What a great story. Um, so, so I think um, two of the things I'm looking back and looking at your two, I'm trying to figure out how your two degrees fit into what you do today. Um, and obviously public relations and marketing has helped you out a lot. Um, it's kind of given you the opportunity to kind of see where the opportunities are and be able to pitch something to somebody and, and make a good, strong case for it, which is, which is awesome. And it, and it helps when it comes to marketing your product. I mean, when I look at your website, when I look at the people that are fans of your product, the, the, the way that you, the, the voice of your brand and everything is very consistent. And you guys definitely do a good job of that. And that's something that's, that, that comes from that. I think your comparative religions come in where, you know, uh, I've, I've often heard, that, heard people say God is in the details. And when I look at your bikes, you can tell that there's just love in the details of those bikes. Um, you know, and, and I, I read, read up on some of the interviews you've given on, on, um, online and some other places. And a lot of the words that you use to describe your bicycles are they're aesthetically beautiful. They're classic. They age well. Um, you know, at some point in time, and I'm, this is, this is me coming from a designer's perspective and, and just wondering, like at some point in time, we decided that, that doing things just for the sake of progress, uh, made more sense than doing things well the way they were, you know? And it's like, I feel like we're, our, our society has, over the last few years, the fixies are, are part of that, people buying old frames and, and, and fixing them up. But I look, I look at even like, you know, Ford, what, the, what they've done with the Mustang. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of Fujifilm cameras. I'm a photographer as well. And, and they've, mm-hmm. just, they've just kind of re-released these cameras that work the way cameras used to work. And people love it because it's not all stuff on screens. They're actual tactile buttons and knobs. They look like the old Leica, the Leica cameras, but they're just so much more enjoyable to use. Um, and, you know, just this, this resurgence of the classic steel 
bicycle? Like just, I'm just curious if that's something you've given a lot of thought to, but you know, at what point in time do you feel like we kind of, as a society diverged from, from, from continuing to do things well to just kind of doing things just because it's progress for the sake of progress rather than, you know, and, 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 and us kind of losing our way and having to come back around to, to the roots of, of some of these things. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the bicycle, um, you know, I've just always kind of been drawn to, to steel bikes just because I'm, I'm a, I'm kind of a, I'm a sentimental person and, uh, I like the idea of falling in love and then having that object for a very long time. And that's what steel is for me. Um, not that you can't own a carbon or an aluminum bike for an extended period of time, but there's been a, this, this idea for me with steel because of it, um, you know, it just has an excellent fatigue life and it just lasts so long and there's such a, um, I just want to have it forever. And if I'm going to have something forever, it needs to be special and it needs to speak to me on multiple levels and, we just kind of tried to translate that and to bring as much of those kind of hallmarks of beauty, you know, into the bikes. Um, I do not like disposable culture, mm. you know, I'm, uh, I wash Ziploc bags out and I use them again. Um, I want to spend my money on things that, that not only have a usefulness, but that I can, you know, um, with what's going on in America, I feel like we as the general populace have been pretty disenfranchised. Um, and one of the few ways that we can still have a voice um, in a meaningful way is how we spend our dollars because it's, you know, in a capitalist society, that's one of the levers you can pull. Hmm. And so I really like being intentional about what I buy. Um and when I do spend money on something, I want it to be nice. And I want people to get that value and that years of happiness and experience out of each of our products. So, you know, it's important that they're good values, that they're sourced as ethically as possible, and then that it's something that you can make memories with. And, you know, I always look at the frames that are beat up and scratched up, those all cities in every single one of those scratches, there's probably a story there. Oh, this is when I did this trip, or this is when I crashed here. And the more scratches, the, I think the more special it is, because there's only one bike in the world that has had that life, and that's the life that you, the rider, have given it. And so, like I said, I get all sentimental and romantic about, about these sort of things, but that's kind of why quality has become is so important to us. And the details and the finish. And sorry, I got a little off track. No, that's not off track at all. That's awesome. that's great. Yeah. Well, and and the love that you put into your products are. It's really clear that you know. I hear you saying, "I love this. I love this. I love this." But it's clear that because you love it, the people that buy your products love it every bit as much as you do. You know, and well, and it's not just me anymore. Right. Uh, well, it was never just me. Lisa was was freaking great. She was amazing. Uh, helped all city do amazing things, 
And now I'm the brand manager and I have my own team. And they're so fucking talented. Part of my language, they're so talented and dedicated and willing to do whatever it takes to turn out an excellent product. Mm. And it's cool because, you know, and it's not just my team. Then it's at the shop level. It's the shop owners who bring in our brand. Um, they bring it in because they love it. Like, it's not, you know, we're not the biggest thing in the world. It's something that they, you know, they're displacing probably a big, big name bike brand to carry this small brand that they're passionate about. And there's some sacrifice in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to sell a, a whatever because everyone knows the name, but instead they're choosing to sell something that they believe in. And then they pass that on to their customers. Um, you know, and kind of exclusively. So it's like, a, it's this whole chain of people, I don't know, who, who believe in it and who give a crack and as corny as it is, you know, like some days are hard at the office, you know, at work. Some days are easy. But when it's hard, it's so, you know, you can't lose sight of the fact that in some small way, um, selling someone a bike makes their life better. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that every time you swing your leg over a bike, um, it helps you. You know, whether it's thinking clearly, whether it's getting a little bit of exercise, um, it's just, a, I don't know, it's, it's been so important in my life and so instrumental. And so to help facilitate that experience for other people is tremendously, tremendously rewarding. Jeff, you said it's, it's 10 years to the, you know, almost to the day, to the month of... Uh-huh. Of it so, might be 10 years to the day. I don't know. Yeah. Like five years ago, I deleted that email because I read it. And I was like, gosh, this is embarrassing. Like, <laughs> this business proposal. Now I wish I had it. But I was just like, geez, what was I thinking? The language was so terrible and like... You know, it worked. But you know what? Actually, those are the kind of things that people look back and go, I was actually visionary. Um, but now that you're, you know, here you are 10 years later, um, what, do you, what do you see going forward? Um, what, what's, the, what's the future look like for all city bikes? So, well, obviously, you know, uh, let's talk a bit about 50 years because that's where we come from. But, you know, now we have bikes in all categories. Um, it's interesting. So we recently been I've been a little jealous to be honest of some of my friends at the bigger company because when we put our heart and soul into something we may touch a thousand people with that and when they put their heart and soul into something they may touch a hundred thousand people right mm-hmm. um, and I've been a little jealous about that um, because my team works really really freaking hard and I want people I want people to have cooler stuff and stuff that they care about. And I want them to have better experiences on a bicycle. Um, And so we've been working hard to kind of grow and change a little bit. Um, You know, the the things that are most important to us are contributing positively to the community and obviously making good products and then make sure we're, we're keeping it fun. You know, we try to have the most fun kind of in the bike industry. Um, and so how can we keep those tenants but continue to grow our business? And it's cool because it's kind of been organic. So in the last six months, we put out three new bikes and three new categories for us, um, like a gravel bike, uh, an off-road touring bike, and uh, a more mainstream kind of mountain bike. And uh, it's been awesome because it's opening eyes and doors for the brand and allowing us to grow 
there's also um, kind of a, so, you know, we come from a very gritty kind of urban place. And, well, that's, will always be our roots, and we're always going to continue to invest in the urban cycling community. Um, we're getting to invest in, in other places, I guess, as well. Um, just kind of branching out. You know, I've been struggling for years because I haven't really felt like all cities had a universal message that's appealing to people or is easily understood. Um, you know, it was this kind of hardcore urban track bike thing, and then it was, you know, um, single speeds, and, you know, obviously we love that stuff, and we continue to do it, but and not everyone is turned on by, like, a picture of someone getting drunk in an alley. <laughs> um, you, you, know, you know what I mean? Sure. And, um, but I look at, like, some other brands, so, like, you know, or, like, people in a rural area, like, well, why would I, I'm not interested in all city, like, you know, like, that's not really my scene. Um, so as we've kind of grown up a bit, you know, we'll never lose our roots or where we come from, but we're trying to kind of have a little bit of a more of a universal appealing message of, um, you know, what are we really important to us? Well, bringing beauty back into production bicycles is, is really important to us. Um, making sure that our bikes have that detail and that, and that passion and that artistry associated with them. And so we've been kind of uh, switching gears a little bit to kind of focus more on that message, which is cool because no matter where you come from, there's something for you there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so we've been growing the brand that way, and we're starting to look at other materials, which I'm really excited about. So steel is amazing. Um, we have one aluminum bike, but, you know, we're starting to talk about doing something in titanium. Um, you know, we feel like that really fulfills the brand promise. Um, it's a material that you can easily make very beautiful and detailed, and it's something that will last a rider there, you know, if it's treated well, uh, extensively forever. Um, so growing it that way. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it sounds to me, like you said, you, your your roots are there in the urban core, but the, op- the opportunity really is to invite people into the joy of why they love the bikes, not necessarily the bike scene or the, the, the things that that emerge from that, but it's, it's at the core about about the bike itself. And anyone, whether you're rural, urban, suburban, whatever, can can fall in love with those universal themes that you're talking about. Yeah, and you know, like one of the things I'm most proud about about All City is so the Space Horse when we did it, I had people telling me that they was going to sink our brand. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's going to water down your brand, and it's a huge mistake, and why would All City make a light touring bike? That's dumb. And that bike became is our best-selling model. You know, it became the gateway for a lot of shops into the brand, and more importantly, this is the part that I'm really excited about, is, like, that bike uh, was priced right and featured right and rides right, and so it became, for a lot of people, their first really good bicycle. Huh. And having riding a good bicycle versus, a, 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 you know, kind of a crappy bicycle, there's a pretty huge difference in experience there. Yeah. And so there's, like, uh, thousands upon people who that bike changed their life and helped them bring them into this whole world of, of cycling like we're talking about. You know, so 
I want to keep producing products that do that, that open people's eyes to their potential, to what's out there in the world that helps them experience the, the natural world to a higher degree. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what all those things are. It's always changing and growing. And, you know, thankfully for me, it's, I kind of got to live my bike fantasies and make the bikes that I really wanted to see exist. And now it's my team's turn to pick up the ball and run with it. So that's really cool, too, getting to facilitate uh, things for other people as well, because you have been so gracious to me in, in facilitating me living my dreams that we get to kind of keep spreading that. Thanks to Jeff for sharing his passionate plea to do the work you love. His story is proof that it doesn't matter how you get there. It's really about the ride that makes the journey worthwhile. Check out the links on our website to find out more about All City Cycles and what Jeff's up to next. If you like what you're hearing on the Joy Venture Podcast, we'd love to know about it. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Google Play to like and follow us. And we'd love it if you'd write us a review on iTunes so others who are looking to discover their joy can discover this podcast. To hear more stories or read our posts that are meant to nudge the dreamer in all of us to become the doer we were meant to be, visit us at joyventure.net. And if you're discovering or developing your joy and need some help creating your brand through design and story, we'd love to partner with you. After all, it's what Jeremy and I do. Until next time, remember, never stop discovering. Thanks for listening.